really looking forward to sharing with you about the helmet of salvation from Ephesians chapter 6. We're in the middle of a series about the spiritual armor of God, and we are looking at the spiritual armor that covers our head. It's the helmet of salvation. And I thought that what would be quite good would be to open by looking at some of the different kinds of headgear that you can get today uh, that can protect your head in various different situations. So we're going to put some of those pictures up on the, on the screen for you to have a look at. Um, the first one is uh, your standard builder's helmet. Now, you'd wear this if you'd go on site at a building site, and this would stop you from having things fall on your head, things like bricks, uh, bits of scaffolding, tools, that kind of stuff. Uh, some building sites, you're not allowed on site unless you wear one of these. So that's a, a builder's helmet. If we have the next one. Uh, so this is called the Gilbert Evolution Head Guard. And you would wear this if you play rugby. This is for rugby, okay? Uh, and so you'd have uh, kind of, it's got sweat holes at the side. You know, when you play rugby, you get a bit sweaty. You can hear through the holes in the, in the edge so that you've got ear holes. You can hear what's going on with the game. Um, you can actually uh, order these from a shop called uh, Rugby Heaven, which straight away poses a theological question, doesn't it? Like, do I go to Rugby Heaven if I've played badly? Okay, you're not there yet. Okay, so when you're woken up in a minute, we'll get going. Okay, next one. Uh, this is a crash helmet for a motorcycle. Uh, in many countries, it's actually a requirement of law to wear one of these when you're uh, out on your motorbike. And actually, studies have shown that you can reduce injury and fatality. Uh, it reduces it by up to two-thirds if you wear one of these. They protect your head in the event of a collision on your motorbike. Let's have a look at the next one. Okay, this is a soldier's helmet. This is a, uh, a British Army Mark VII general service soldier's helmet. And this will protect you from bullets from uh, sniper fire, um, and all of the British Army soldiers wear this. And in fact, uh, the, uh, the armor, when we're talking about armor, the thing that you'd probably think of straight away is the helmet. And people have worn helmets down the centuries to protect their heads when they're in a conflict. And the British Army, no exception. No exception at all. Uh, the next one is a deep water diving helmet. And you'd use this to go deep down under the surface of the water to do at work, let's say on an oil rig, something like that, and you can breathe, you can see still, uh, you get air, obviously, down there. Um, you might have a radio and you've got a connection with the surface. That's protecting you in that very dangerous and difficult kind of environment down under the water. Okay, this one is probably the ultimate helmet of all that you'd ever get or you'd ever wear. This is a space helmet. And this would protect you in all sorts of ways. You need protection from the vacuum of space because there's no atmosphere. You need protection from radiation from the sun. It gets very hot and very cold in space. You need that warmth around you to protect your head. Um, and it also protects you from micrometeorites traveling at 27,000 miles an hour. You need that, don't you, Jason? Yeah. You need that protection when you're up in space doing a job uh, on the moon or, you know, on one of those space stations. You need that. You just need it around your head. That's very, very important. One of the things that happens, however, when you wear a space suit and a space helmet is you get a condition um, which is basically based on you can't turn sideways inside the helmet because you basically just see the wall. And so you have to turn your whole body, which uh, astronauts uh, call alligator head. You have to turn your whole body to speak to the person next to you. So we're going to do that. We're going to try that right now. I want you to use the process of alligator heads to announce to the person next to you the helmet of salvation. But you have to do it alligator head style. You can't just go like that. You have to go, the helmet of salvation. Turn your whole body. 
Turn your whole body and say, the helmet of salvation. Yeah, you get a good look at each other as well. Okay, we have 60 nations here in BCC. Anybody here from Sweden at all? Just raise your hand if you're from Sweden. No, nobody from Sweden. That's a bit of a shame. Sweden is the country responsible for bringing us IKEA. Kind of useful, isn't it, IKEA? And the, the Volvo as well. What a great car that is. Very, very safe. But there's two ladies in Sweden who invented a thing uh, which is actually like an airbag for your head when you're cycling. It's called the Hovding. Um, yeah, it, it kind of looks like a collar on the left. And then when you're cycling along and you go over a bump and you're about to go onto the ground, it expands up suddenly into this uh, kind of inflatable airbag. Not the prettiest thing, but you know what? If it does the job, that's great. Should you have a quick look at a video and see how it works? Yeah, come on, let's have a look at the screen, uh, and we'll show you exactly a hoofding in action. So that's the hoofding. That's your inflatable cyclist's airbag for your head. Um, costs 219 quid, so it's not the cheapest. Uh, One-time use only. But you know what? You might think that that was worth it. I must admit, I thought, when I saw that video... I had a, a few mischievous thoughts about how you could use that in a Christian setting. Some, if somebody could add like a gossip monitor into it, like it could go off at the minute that gossip was coming your way. So you could hear the words, have you heard about Pats? And then suddenly, boof, it'd be over your head protecting you. I just think that would be an awesome thing. You could have a heresy detector. You could safely travel to any church in the world, and the minute heresy is spoken from the front, your hoofding would go off, poof, protect you, wouldn't it? That would be interesting feedback for a minister, wouldn't it? Loads of those going off all at once. Hey, heads are very, very precious things, and they need protecting. And the damage that can be done to our head, it's very easy to do that. So we need protection over our heads, and we also need spiritual protection over our heads. We need spiritual armor. And so Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, put on salvation as your helmet. Ephesians 6.17, put on salvation as your helmet. Now I want you to do alligator head again to the person next to you and say, put on salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. Well done. You're getting this astronaut thing really well. We'll make astronauts of you yet. I think the helmet of salvation works in three main ways. But I'm going to first, before I get into that, I'm going to explain a picture of salvation because there's no harm in reminding ourselves what salvation is. I think most of us might know what it is, but I'm going to illustrate what salvation is from a story from back in 2010. It's a story that grabbed the world's attention. In August 2010, in the northern part of Chile, there was a mine called the San Jose Gold and Copper Mine. And there was a collapse in this mine. The owners of the mine didn't look after it properly. And what happened was there was a collapse, and 33 miners got trapped underground. Now, they got trapped at a depth of 700 meters. Now, 700 meters might not seem like a long distance this way, but it's a really, really long distance this way. If you imagine for a moment, you know that massive building that they've got in Dubai called the Burj Khalifa? You know, the one that holds all the records for the top-level viewing deck and the highest floor and, the, you know, the tallest spire? Well, that's 830 meters tall. So you can imagine 700 meters going down. That is really, really deep, isn't it? That's really going down a long way. And this mine had this collapse, and for 17 days, they had no signs of life. They sent down some, uh, some drills, and they tried to, to, to see if there was anything going on. But 
On the 17th day, as they took one of the drills out, attached to the end of the drill was this message in red. Message in red, hopefully will appear there. Now, Robson, you did a great job the first service. Is there anyone else other than Robson that could translate that for us? Think it's Spanish, Chilean Spanish. Anyone know what that is? Shout it out, please. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, anyone else? What does it say? Anyone, anyone at all? If you know what that says, I'm going to move on really quickly. You, yeah? We're all finding the refuge. The 33 of us. Yes. We are all well in the refuge or the shelter, the 33 of us. Now imagine receiving that note back. You would pull out all the stops, and that's exactly what the Chilean government did. They pulled out all the stops to mount a massive rescue operation when they found out 33 of those miners were well uh, and, and, and okay. And they got companies involved and international teams, and they even got NASA involved, and they started three drilling holes at the same time. They had a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And they came at the problem from three different perspectives at once and tried to get to where the miners were. Now, it was the plan B drill uh, the first, that, that actually got there. The other two didn't make it uh, for various reasons, but they actually drilled a 28-inch borehole. Now, 28 inches, what's that? That is not that wide, is it? If you think of a hole stretching pretty much the depth of the Burj Khalifa, but going downwards. Like, that's pretty, pretty small, isn't it, really? So they managed to do that, and they got it into the chamber where the miners were. Uh, and uh, they, they got there, and what they then did was they invented a capsule. Uh, and we've got a picture of that up on the screen for you to have a look at. They got a capsule to rescue people in. And it had wheels at the top and wheels at the bottom, so it could steer up and down the, the mine shaft that they'd created. Uh, and there it was. It's got loads of stuff. Um, you can read all that if you want to, that's fine. But the deal was that after 69 days of being down there, everything was ready, and they sent an expert down in the capsule who then met with all the miners, and they started rescuing each of those miners one by one. Now, something you need to know about the capsule is the capsule was 21 inches wide. So, I mean, I, me personally, I'm thinking, oh, I did well to lose some weight. You know, you don't really want to be a chubby miner in that kind of situation, do you? That, that's going to be awkward. You might be staying down there a bit, a bit longer to lose that extra weight. But they basically managed to get all these guys in there, into that tiny little capsule, and then it ran up and down this borehole, and they rescued every single miner from that cave, one by one, inside the capsule, up and down to the surface. Now, something you might not know is they made a little makeshift chapel down there, and they had daily prayers. And there was lots of prayer from family and friends and churches and locally and from people all around the world. Uh, the Daily Mail ran a, a little article, which I've just got up there for you, um, on the day of their rescue, which said this. Let me just read this to you. It says, the miners emerged wearing identical T-shirts with the Chilean flag on the front. And the message, thank you, Lord, in English and Spanish. The back featured words from Psalm 95, in his hand are the depths of the earth. And the mountain peaks belong to him. To him, the glory and honor. The T-shirts were made by the brother of trapped miner, Jose Henriquez, um, an evangelist who has been the group's spiritual leader. He has been leading the men in daily prayers with many of the miners telling their families they had found a new faith in God since the accident. One of those is Mario Gomez, the eldest of the group, who went down on his knees for prayer seconds after leaving the capsule. My point is... 
this is an outstanding picture of what salvation is. It's a really great illustration of salvation. Let me explain. If you imagine the surface of the desert is like heaven, that's the destination that all of those miners needed to get back to. That's where we need to get to. The cave is a bit like us, all of us here on earth. God is the leader of the rescue plan to get all of us on earth to, to with him in heaven. He wants to see everybody rescued. The capsule, the capsule is Jesus. Jesus is the rescue vehicle. The letter to the Ephesians, from which the spiritual armor is all described, it tells us that we are in Christ over and over and over again. So much so that it's like we're in air. We just have him all around us. So God sends Jesus down, you step into Jesus, and up you go to heaven. That is the picture from that rescue. Jesus is our rescue capsule. Yeah, give him praise. What an amazing person Jesus is to do that for us. Now, imagine for a moment you are in the mine. You would never dream of refusing that rescue uh, solution, would you? You just wouldn't do that. Why would you refuse that? You'd be crazy. And yet we see refusal spiritually to receive Jesus as our rescue capsule all the time around us in our world. Remember that salvation is rescue from darkness, death, and separation. Now, it's not a rock collapse, but it's an inner moral collapse where we have been totally cut off from the holiness and perfection of God. Now, the world, it's quite interesting, the world tries to claim there's lots of different ways to, to, to get to God. And they have lots of different ideas of God. And it's significant that there were different boreholes that tried to make it to those miners. But actually, only one got there. Only one got there. And that's that, the, the illustration holds because there is only one way to, to, to heaven and to God, and that's through Jesus. Only God is able to rescue via the person of Jesus. But only we can step aboard the capsule. Do you see that the, 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 the kind of the seesaw thing going on there? There's no way those miners could have got out on their own. But if when the capsule had arrived, if they'd refused that, then that was down to them. And that is a great picture of salvation. God does all of his stuff, but we need to respond and we need to step aboard and be part of what he's offering us. And that is salvation. And I want you to hold that picture of salvation in your mind for the rest of my message this morning because it's important that you hold it there. Now, Paul, in writing that letter, he could have picked love or justice or mercy or hope, but the Holy Spirit made him choose salvation. And I think it's constant awareness in our minds of a spiritual rescue that acts as the helmet of salvation to protect our minds. It does. Um, the, the actual helmet comes from the Greek, Greek word uh, perikephalia, which is up on the screen for you. Peri means about, like around your head. And kephala is the Greek word for head. And so the helmet of salvation is simply an about head. That's what you've got. Uh, and that's what it means in the original language. So how does that help us knowing that we've got an about head of a picture of salvation all the time? It helps us in three ways. I want to just uh, illustrate that with uh, a, a piece of marvelous engineering that's been put together for me by Ian, who is our ops director or ops manager down there, and also Chloe. This is, this is the helmet of salvation. Okay, this is it. Here it is. There it is, stunned silence. 
That is the helmet of salvation. Shall I put it on really quickly? Yeah, go on. Let's do it. There we go. That's the helmet of salvation. That's doing wonders for my double chin. Ooh, yeah. That's really tight. Let me explain what I mean as I go along, okay? There's, there's, a, there's a, thank you, Sharon. There is a logic to my madness, okay? Let me balance that just there. That's the helmet of salvation. <clears throat> three ways in which we are protected in our minds. One, two, and three, okay? The first one, God wants to protect our worth, our sense of worth. Now, why does God want to protect our sense of worth? Because you don't rescue something that has no worth. Why would you bother with something that's not worth anything to you? If something's not worth anything to you, you don't bother to rescue it. So let's put that here. Now, in my design, I, I realize that that's going to fall forward, but I'm going to come and hold that from time to time. Worth. God wants you to remember that you have worth. You have a deep sense of worth, and that's why that's part of the helmet of salvation, okay? Now, I was browsing eBay the other day. Uh, I used to collect stamps, and I found this stamp collection, and uh, it was filled with early British penny red stamps. And uh, one of the things about penny reds is that there's a kind of really rare one which is printed under plate 77. So when you print stamps, you have lots of different plate numbers, and that's how you can identify the different kinds of stamps. So if you're a collector, what you do, if you're like a real kind of real avid collector, you write down all the plate numbers, and you try and collect every single one in the series. Plate 77 on this auction on eBay, missing. You see 78, 79, 80, all missing. He's got 81, not 77. And there's no surprise about that, because plate 77, they only issued about 10. It's the holy grail of stamp collecting for people in the UK. It's worth half a million pounds if you get one. They're just so, so rare, okay? Now, we are like that to God. We have a huge worth, except it's way, way more than half a million quid. We have incredible rarity to God. Um, we are unique. There's no print run with us, no set of plates where we're all stamped and printed out. There's only ever one of us. It's a, we are a one-off. We're unique. We're a, a never-to-be-repeated person. We only happen once, and we are fashioned with exquisite care and loving detail. David says in the Psalms, I am fearfully and wonderfully, what? Made. You know it. Absolutely. God's opinion of us is that we are worth saving. And a key verse for us is 1 Timothy 2.4, which says God wants everyone to be saved. I want you to do alligator head again. And this time I want you to say to the person next to you, God thinks I have worth. God thinks I have worth. Say that to the person next to you. Now, I want to capture a little feeling that some of you might have had deep down inside that you probably wouldn't confess straight away, but it's that a slight awkwardness over receiving a statement of worth. Maybe it was hard to say to the other person. Maybe it was hard to receive. And there was a little tiny bit of you that resisted that just deep down in here. You would never admit to it, but you kind of did. Now, that's, that's 
to do with a sense of your own worth not matching how God sees you. And many people, in, in some respect or another, have aspects of who they are where they suffer from that lower sense of worth than they should do. And that's why God wants to protect your thinking with a renewed sense of how precious and how unique you are. It's so important that you understand that. Because if we lose sight of that, if we stop wearing this value, what happens is we forget that we have worth. What we do is we, we kind of, uh, when people say good things to us, we almost want to hide away. We almost want that bike helmet to just go boof over our heads. You can't, you can't speak worth over me is our logic. We want to hide ourselves away in a cave of low self-esteem. That's what we want to do. Some of us, not everyone in this room, but some of us do identify with that. Now, I can't explore that fully today. I don't have time, and that's a whole branch of Christian ministry right there, reestablishing worth for you. You can go on something like Freedom in Christ. There's lots of different courses that will help you with that. But let me give you three very quick starters for 10 on self-worth. Number one, God's view of your worth is, in, is completely different from yours. God's view of your worth is different from yours, and the reliable one in the equation is God. Yeah. It's not you. Yeah. And so you need to receive what God speaks over you more than you trust yourself. Yeah. That's the starting point for dealing with self-worth and issues around that. Number two, you might try and conceal away the issues of low self-esteem and put that down or, or bury it in a cave, but do you know what? The church and God are going to come drilling for you and they're going to rescue that, and they're going to try and heal that for you, if you allow them. They will do that. Yeah. And three, I think it's a bit more than God's, just his opinion that we have worth. It's a bit more than just opinion, isn't it? Because if it was just opinion, it would be a statement from God on a fluffy cloud in heaven saying you've got worth. No, he sent a person for you. He sent a person for you to rescue you and to bring you back to heaven with him, just as those Chilean miners got rescued. And that, the whole appeal of that story is it's about the worth of people. People have worth to God. So first of all, the helmet of salvation is God's protection of our worth. Secondly, the helmet of salvation is God's protection of our destiny. Here we have the word destiny, and that's God's protection of our destiny in our thinking. So I'm just going to put that here. Hope this stays on the table. Okay. So God wants to protect our destiny. He wants to protect where we're going. And how does the helmet of salvation do that? It's because we're on a journey home to God. We are, salvation is a destination. When you're saved for something, it means you're going somewhere. In your character, yes, but also at the end of time. Just as that capsule rescued every single one of those miners in that cave, Jesus is your passport where? It's your passport to your heavenly home. You are going home with Jesus, and that gives you huge security. When you know that your destiny is secure, it gives you a lot of confidence, and it stops you, like Pastor Mark was saying, stops you striving. You don't have to worry so much about your significance because you are on a journey, and you are going home. Imagine the feelings of those miners in that cave not being sure that they'd make it. Imagine that feeling for a moment versus the feeling of, okay, I'm in a bit of a tight spot, but they're coming for me, and I'm going to get out. That's a very, very different feeling to embrace, isn't it? Very different. That's the protection of God over our headspace right there. When you know you're going somewhere in God, 
And he's got a destiny for you. A lot of things fall into place around the security that we feel in our minds up here. Now, that rescue team went to enormous lengths to get those guys out. So how much more would our Heavenly Father do that for us? Um, I want to just share that feeling of that wanting to be home uh, with a very brief story uh, from another part of Chile, strangely enough. Back in 2003, I went on a trek to the southernmost part of Chile to a place called the Torres del Paine, which is like a national park, uh, and it's got some beautiful mountains in it. Um, if you could put that up, that'd be great. Um, really, really beautiful place. Uh, just stunning. And I went there to see it, but the journey there was just like loads and loads of steps on that journey. So train to Heathrow, Heathrow flight to Madrid, uh, flight from Madrid to Santiago, then a flight from Santiago to a place called Puntas Aranas, and then a minibus journey that lasted forever, and then we got to a campsite, and I, I, we camped, and I woke up, and I saw this view in the morning, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, and I felt homesick. And I was like, oh, I've done this journey, and I've gone all this way, and all I want to see is Chloe. I want to go home. Now, I managed my feelings, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll get through this. And I had a great trek, and it was all good, but I kept on thinking about, oh, my goodness, all those steps to get home. I want to be home. I just want to be home. And I was so relieved when I did eventually get home. It was made worse by the fact that we set off on our journey on the eve of the Second Gulf War. So we're sitting at home watching TV, and you know how they film war live these days, and these bombs going off, and you can see these like strobe lights and how they do flares over the desert. And I'm watching this and thinking, am I actually going to get back home? What's going to happen here? The helmet of salvation protects our sense of destiny. It protects us in our minds as to what's going to happen to us in the future, where we're going. I remember saying to Chloe, no matter what happens, I'm coming back for you. If I have to walk through South America and over the Panama Canal and up through America and across through Newfoundland and get me a stowaway on a boat, I am coming home to you. The helmet of... Uh, thanks, Mark. That is romantic. Nobody else thinks so, but I think it was romantic. The helmet of salvation is God's protection over our destiny because when all is said and done, we are going home to God. Yes. We are. There's a Pink Floyd album, very famous album called The Dark Side of the Moon. And in it, there's this voice says, I'm not frightened of dying. But you kind of get the feeling he is. He says it defiantly, but you get the feeling, hmm, no, you are actually frightened of dying. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said that. It's a statement you're making. The helmet of salvation gives you full protection from anxiety about where you're headed in your life. There's a verse for this, John 14.3. In fact, it's often read at funerals to bring comfort to people. Um, it says this, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Uh, do alligator head to the person next to you and tell them, I'm always going to be with Jesus. Alligator head, twist it around, keep practicing on being an astronaut. So the helmet of salvation reminds us that we have great worth to God. It also reminds us that we're headed somewhere. We are literally going somewhere. And the third thing is that it's God's protection of our purpose. And I'm just going to put this last one on. Purpose is over here. There we are. You may take a photo if you wish. So this is the helmet of salvation, complete with all aspects available. You have purpose, you have worth, and you have destiny. They're all here for you. I want, the reason I went to some lengths to try and create a slightly, well, to be honest, buffoon-like 
prop is because I want you to remember this day. I want you to remember when you're 95 and you read this passage again about the helmet of salvation. I want you to say there was that minister in BCC and he did that weird thing with the builder's helmet. Because I think visual aids help. If you remember those three things, then my job's done. Worth, destiny, purpose. Now, I'm going to take it off because, partly because my chin's hurting, but also I think it's kind of quite humorous. Yeah? Come on then. Quick photo. Photo over here. Photo in the middle. Oh, no camp. Well, there's only one. Okay, photo over here. There we go. There you go. Share as much as you like on social media. I don't care. So the key verse for purpose comes from, again, from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, which says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's the salvation bit. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he had planned for us long ago. We have have been saved for purpose, not just for worth, not just for destiny, but we've got some stuff to do, so let's go and do some stuff. We need to crack on and find the reasons that we have been saved because God planned good things for you and I to do from a long time back. Before the creation of the world, God sat down with his notebook and he said, I've got some stuff for Pastor Mark to do. I've got some stuff for Fitz to do. I've got some stuff for Nick to do. I've got some stuff for Robson to do. I've got some stuff for you guys to go and do that's good. And you know, we have this problem sometimes when God, when, when, when God is when we hear the word good in the Bible, we almost want to disbelieve that it's going to be good. But you know what? When God says something is good, it really is good. It really is good. We need to trust by faith and stop doubting him that he's got good things for us. So I want to suggest a framework or a scale where you, know, where you can know where you are, where you can test what, what level you're at uh, on a kind of scale of doing good things. Now, this isn't a works-based thing. You've been saved by faith if you've received Jesus. You're going to go up in the capsule to heaven. That's great. But I want you to understand we have a scale or an approach to good works that I want to explain a bit. Now, this is important, and I I know that I'm between you and your lunch right now. I get that. Okay? It's coming to one o'clock. Just dig in for the last two or three minutes and and pay attention to this bit because this is important. There's some good stuff in here. There's a bit of a nugget in here that I think will help you. It will help you serve. It will help you find your purpose. So let's imagine that we've got uh, three, three, three levels, if you like, to what we want to bring. We've got the possibility of some impact. We have the possibility of big impact. But we also have the possibility of huge impact, right up there type impact. And all of us want to have huge impact, don't we, for God? We want to follow God and do good things. We don't want our funerals to be just a few people making up some kind stuff to be nice on the day. We want people to say, hey, that person made a really big difference. That person had huge impact in their lives, and it's because they followed Jesus to a great degree. That's, I'm, am I alone in that? No? Okay, that's good. So some impact, big impact, huge impact. Let's look at the same idea, however, with different words that put some cost around that. Because whenever you do something good, there's a cost connected with that, isn't there? So let's just decide, uh, let's just have a look at that and how we might understand that in terms of the cost. So the first word I'd say would be a load. That when you're uh, 
carrying something that's like a load, that's something that you would lift up, that you would carry for your, let's say, your working day, and then at the end of the day when you're tired, you can put it down. One of the ways that you can tell that the good thing that you're doing is a load is that you can put it down. You can stop carrying that load for a bit, and you can just put it down on the side, and it doesn't bother you anymore. That's the definition of a load. And many people's jobs in, in, in our world today are load-based. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. It just helps you think about it. The next level is a burden. Now, the level of a burden is something where you carry it all the time. You carry it in your head up here. You are always holding the thought of it in here. Because do you know what? It absolutely matters to you. It's not just something you can put down when you're tired. You always have it. It might be in your head as the last thing you, that you do when you, when you fall asleep. It might be the first thing that you think about when you wake up. You have this in your head. Let me give you an example of burdens. A burden might be something like um, a big responsibility that you have. It might be being a parent. Being a parent is a burden. Because when you're not a parent, it's kind of, you don't really get, I'm not dissing people who, don't, who aren't parents at all, but when, you, when you've got kids, you carry that in your head the whole time. When you're a leader and you have responsibility for something or some people, you are carrying that in your mind. A definition of a burden is you can't put it down. You have it. You have it for that season of your life that you're going through that and you're taking that on board. Whatever that thing might be, it might be a calling, it might be a responsibility, it might be a role, it might be leadership, whatever. Let's up the ante to the next level of cost and say sacrifice. And this is additional. So you've been through load, you know what working and putting, working hard is fine, but you know how to put that down. You've also know, you also know what a burden is, and burden is something you carry pretty much all the time as that responsibility. But sacrifice is on a different level altogether. Sacrifice is real consequences on you and your family, real potential even for damage to you as a person, that you take a hit, that there are consequences that are major, possibly even irreversible consequences. I'm talking about things like if you go to war and you lose a leg, that is a sacrifice. And we know that, we, we understand that, but it's, it's the level of cost that rises alongside the impact that rises, alongside the level of goodness that we get to participate within God. Now, this is an advanced, kind of an advanced concept, and I, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's a bit unfair to hit you with this at lunchtime, but I'm trying to get you to understand that good things and having an impact, there is a cost with it. And I think some of us think that good things just happen, and we're just part of it. No, there's a cost that we put in, and I think it's really important that we understand that. Yeah. Quick check for you. A, do I mainly carry loads in my life? B, do I mainly carry a burden and loads, potentially? Are there things I'm always carrying in my head? C, am I doing A and B, but am I also taking a hit for some things? Is there a cost with my spirituality? You know, one of the things that impresses me about Christianity is it's got a cost to the spirituality. I rub up against some of my new age friends and some of my other people that have got other beliefs, and I kind of go, well, where's the cost, guys? Sorry, I can't see it. And I know they'll try and make a case for there being a cost, but I can't see it. I don't see it. Let me give you a biblical illustration of this as I close. Um, Isaac, Abraham, and God going up Mount Horeb. You know the story. Isaac carries firewood. That's a load. If Isaac gets tired, he can put that load down, can't he? He can stop for a minute, recover his strength. 
Abraham climbing Mount Horeb, he knows what's coming next. There's no way he can put that thought down to one side and just have a rest. That is a burden. That's a burden right there. He, you can't put a burden down. But then a level on from that is God. And God is carrying the sacrifice. And in fact, in that story, we see God carries the sacrifice by providing the ram. But he also carries the, the sacrifice because that is a picture of there's no one to stay God's hand when, it when it's time to sacrifice Jesus. And that's going to really cost Jesus and it's going to really cost God. And that's the three levels right there from the Bible. Jesus got sacrificed, and it was the greatest sacrifice in history, but it was also the greatest good thing that ever occurred. And there's a match between the impact of good works and the level of cost to us. And I, I just want to hit you with that today. I just want to say, if you want to do good things for God, do you know what? It's going to go from load to burden to sacrifice. Yeah. And we might as well just face that. Jesus said it, didn't he? Whoever would follow me needs to take up their cross. Here's a line drawing I found, well, I created this of Abraham and Isaac just to summarize those thoughts for you, just so that you can see. So we have, these are the different thoughts as the, those guys are going up the mountain. You have Isaac who's saying, wow, <laughs> this wood is really heavy. This load is, is hard. But if Isaac gets tired, he can put the load down. You've got Abraham who's going up the mountain, and what's his work that he's doing? The work that he's doing is that his burden He's not going to go away until he sees through what God has asked him to do. Now, if you were looking on from the outside, you'd say, well, oh, that's a bit unfair. Abraham's doing nothing. He's just walking up the mountain, and Isaac's carrying all the sticks. No, the real burden in that story is Abraham and what he's carrying in his head. And then, of course, we've got God who's kind of off the picture there, and his thought is, okay, I'm going to need to send Jesus at some point. And that's that's where it's at. That's the real level. Why do I want to share that with you? Here's, here's, the, <laughs> here's the punch, if you like. Here's the punchline. We are operating at BCC on the level of, I'm still deciding whether I want to do a load or not. I'm still deciding about load. And you know what happens when we do that as a church? And you can, you can kind of receive this as a little bit of a godly rebuke if you want to. But what happens is the pastors have to come back to the level of load and they stop carrying the burden because they're so busy. They're fried with all the stuff that has to be done. Do you know we have 80 vacancies in our, in our church at the moment for, for people to simply help us once a month with something really basic like shaking hands on the door. We've got 30 spaces in our kids team alone. You know, we can't even serve ourselves and we're fussing and, and struggling about, oh, don't give me sticks to carry, pastor. Well, someone's going to carry them, so it's going to be the pastor. And, I, I, you know, I love you guys, and I find it hard to give rebukes, but actually I want to say it. Let's step up, because the helmet of salvation is about knowing what it is you're called to do, and they're good things. These aren't bad things we're asking you to do, or that God's asking you to do. We're asking you to do good stuff, good things that will be credited to your account in heaven. So let's start embracing some load. Let's start, I, I mean, I'd like some load carriers to be added to our numbers over this next month. I'd like some burden carriers, people who really care about a ministry passionately that it burns them up. You know, I, I lose sleep over whether I've got kids workers, and I know I've got Ellie to help me, but I want that to be good for our kids. We have a, we have a campus here that needs to be excellent for everybody. Why isn't that the case for everybody? Because we're not stepping up. 
I'm going to ask the worship team just to come and play softly for us. We're coming into a close now. Thank you for your indulgence in my overrun on time. There's three ways that I think that we can respond to the helmet of salvation and the message of the helmet of salvation. The first is that if we have any question marks over our sense of worth, any question marks at all over the sense of worth that we might have. Do you know what? When we're, when we're singing in this next song, I'll just invite you to come and stand at the front and get some prayer about that. And I'd say it's surprisingly large number of us feel at one way or another there's something about us that doesn't quite have that sense of worth. And would God come and heal that and fix that and minister to that? Because church is a place where you can be rescued from your cave of low self-esteem. And they, we will drill for you and we will come and pull you out and we'll heal you because Jesus can do that. So if there's anybody here who feels, oh, do you know what? Most of me is fine, but there's that one area which I really struggle with worth that I'm worth something in that area. Just come and get some prayer for that. The second thing is destiny. You know, you might be sitting there today as one of our guests and we're really delighted to have you with us, but you've never heard it put to you before that Jesus is the rescue capsule and you're not sure tonight that you'd actually go to heaven. If you were one of those miners and, and there was a collapse of a mine and you, you were down there, you would be seriously thinking to yourself, well, where am I going? Where am I headed? And you need that security from the helmet of salvation to know that you are going to be with Jesus when, it, when all is said and done. And that might be you. And if that's you, come out and get some prayer. We'd lead you to, we'll lead you to the Lord. We'd love you to do that. We can help you step right into that capsule right here at the front. You can do that today. You can step into that capsule and you can receive Jesus. And then the last thing is your sense of purpose. And if I've trodden on your toes a bit about serving, do you know what? So what? That's okay. I'm big enough to take it. But I want for you to help and I want for you to serve because God has good things in mind for you. There's a sense of purpose for you. Let's all stand. Let's all stand together.